Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you'll visit their website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. As usual, for the last decade or more, we'll be talking on Monday mornings, talking about current world events, including the terrific peace deal between the United Arab Emirates and Israel. Uh, we'll also visit with Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll talk about the issue of voting by mail. Is it a good idea? And Jim McTagg. Jim is uh, author of several books. He's also former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. We'll visit with Jim as well. It is August the 17th, and on this day in 1998, President Bill Clinton became the first sitting president to testify before the Office of Independent Counsel as the subject of a grand jury investigation. Who will ever forget that televised event? The testimony came after a four-year investigation to Clinton and his wife Hillary's alleged involvement in several scandals, including the accusations of sexual harassment, potentially illegal real estate deals, and suspected cronyism involved in the firing of the White House travel agency personnel. That in and of itself was a travesty. The independent prosecutor Ken Starr, Kenneth Starr, then uncovered an affair between Clinton and a White House intern named Monica Lewinsky. When questioned about the affair, Clinton denied it, which led Starr to charge the president with perjury and obstruction of justice, which in turn prompted his testimony on August the 17th. After testifying, Clinton addressed the nation live via television and gave his side of the story. He admitted to an inappropriate relationship with Lewinsky and said that he regretted misleading his wife and the American people when he denied the affair earlier. He insisted that he had given a legally accurate testimony in his test, uh, answers in his testimony and that at no time had he asked anyone to lie, hide, or destroy evidence or take any unlawful action in addressing the investigation in his past business dealings. Clinton insisted that his investigations did not prove uh, that the investigation did not prove that he and his wife had engaged in any illegal activity. The damage, however, was already done. Revelations from the investigation sparked a battle in Congress over whether or not to impeach Clinton. While Democrats favored censure, Republicans called loudly for impeachment, claiming Clinton was unfit to lead the country. In December 1998, the House of Representatives voted to impeach the president, but after a five-week trial in the Senate, Clinton was acquitted. Public opinion polls at the time revealed that while many people disapproved of Clinton's extramarital affair, which he conducted in the White House Oval Office, most, uh, which most conducted in the Oval Office, most did not consider it an action worthy of impeachment or resignation. That happened on this day many years ago. COVID-19 in Cuyahoga County, there's a, the headline says that there's one additional death and 51 new cases. But then if you read in the Naples Daily News, the text, it says there's 106 cases. So I think that's left over from yesterday. In any event, looking at the Florida Department of Health reported 3,779 new uh, cases, uh, which is really great because uh, this is the... F- First time this month that the state has counted fewer than 4,000 new cases. The seven-day average on July 18th was 11,865 cases. And on August the 14th, the average is 6,459. So we're seeing a big drop in the state of Florida, as we are in the uh, Collier County, which is great. So what impact will school openings have uh, I don't know. I have a $2 bet with a friend <laughs> suggesting that we're not going to see cases spike. Uh, he thinks they will. But about 58% of the students in Cuyahoga County are returning to brick-and-mortar schools, while the remaining 40% opted for virtual learning. Now, if Biden is elected, he'll have us all wearing masks for at least three months, even outside. Ironic that he was riding his bicycle with a mask and no helmet, which, of course, if he fell on... <laughs> Without a helmet, it'd kill him. I doubt seriously that mask is doing him any good. In any event, uh, certainly this is a political ploy 
because many people are concerned about their safety and uh, this panic of fear that we're seeing across the United States. Many people are buying into it, unfortunately. Our condolences to President Donald Trump and his family. Robert Trump, younger brother of President Trump, died Saturday. The White House confirmed the statement from the president. He was 71 years of age when he died, so just a few days from his 72nd birthday. It's with a heavy heart I share my wonderful brother, Robert, peacefully passed away tonight. The president wrote, he's not just my brother, he was my best friend. He'll be greatly missed, but we will uh, meet again. His memory will live on in my heart forever. Robert, I love you. Rest in peace. Sad day for the president. It had to be very, very personally painful. I'm so grateful that he had the opportunity to uh, see his brother on Friday before he died. Um, he died just 11 days before his 72nd birthday. So following the death of President Trump's brothers, uh, Robert Trump, critics of the president have been tweeting the hashtag wrong Trump as if to say it should be, have been the president to die instead of uh, Robert. As of Sunday morning, the hashtag was the second highest trending on Twitter with more than 77,600 tweets, including a journalist and an NAACP leader. You know, just some folks just weren't raised right. How sad is that? And any of even people that uh, don't like Trump uh, expressed their distaste for this trend, even when some who oppose the with some who oppose the president. I'm going to take a little break. That's Mark Schulman. I'm quite certain. So we're going to visit with Mark. He's in Tel Aviv. Uh, we'll be visiting with him about current world events. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by uh, Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Again, coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabee's.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. 
And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He's author of Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark has written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. You should take a look at it. It's good for kids of all ages, including you and I. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. I'll just point out to our listeners that you're in Tel Aviv right now, and things are kind of in a lockdown because of the coronavirus. Uh, any update on that? Well, in Israel, actually, actually most things have gone back, uh, other than having weddings and anything indoors more than 10 or 20 people is not allowed. Um, but the economy is still suffering like everyone else in the world. Um, and, but the problem is there's a fairly high infection rate, uh, the mortality rate in Israel has tended to be one of the lowest in the world, but that has a lot to do with the fact that the overall population is young, and that's a direct, uh, you know, direct uh, reaction. And also, they've done relatively well in terms of taking care of, of patients themselves. And because Israel has universal medical care, uh, you don't have many people with untreated um, chronic diseases. So whether it's diabetes, high blood pressure, etc., everybody in the country poor or rich are all treated, and so you don't have that, those underlying conditions aren't as bad amongst the population because of the universal health care that exists. So, so we have, a, right in uh, Florida, uh, uh, the uh, number of cases is going down. Certainly the health care, uh, uh, the, the beds in, in uh, hospitals aren't being overwhelmed right now. So we're seeing a positive trend. Of course, kids are going back to school in in the month of uh, august so we'll see what kind of impact that has on the number of cases but i'm hopeful that this is all going to kind of turn down well hopefully i mean look israel got the second wave because kids went back to school yeah so that was a hundred percent the cause of that and some big weddings but mostly kids going back to school and not shutting it down quick enough and that's why the second wave came and once so the problem with kids is while only a very small percentage of them get sick, they're really good at spreading the disease. They take it home, they take it to their grandparents, they take it any sort of way. It's particularly dangerous because they themselves are asymptomatic. Yeah. So you don't know they're sick, and yet they're spreading the disease. So that's been a real problem. That was a problem here. Um, it's been a problem, I think, recently right now in Georgia, which opened one of the earliest states to open, as well as I think it's Oklahoma, I think, one or two states have opened and had a lot of lot of difficulty. Well, I but think they, you can't open normally. You have to open with with a lot of safeguards in place. That takes a lot of effort. Well, I'll also point out that kids spread stuff anyhow. I mean, they not only the the possibility of spreading the coronavirus, but also uh, bad colds, <laughs> all kinds of things. Well, of course, they spread all that sort of stuff. But the fact of the matter is, most of those aren't as deadly as Corona can be. If it's the right person or the wrong person, how do right, you want to look right, at it? Right. So, well, and also, the, I don't think there has been anything that is. Look, we we still don't understand. There's some people seem to be what they call super spreaders. Mm-hmm. The one person can come and spread it to a hundred people, while someone else will have the disease and won't even spread it to their own family. So, you know, there are these things. There's so many things we don't understand yet, and uh, hopefully we will. Yeah. Um, hopefully they'll get this vaccine. They're they're. Leaving aside the Russian and the Chinese one, which I wouldn't quite trust, there are at least five vaccines in phase three trials. Those should be done hopefully November, December. Yeah. So for the first of the year, we can start distributing the vaccine. Of course, that will, if it works, obviously. Yeah. If it works, that will, you know, turn this back into a non-event, although it'll take a long time to recover in my opinion, at this yeah, point. Yeah, I'm more interested in therapeutics than vaccines, but we'll see how this all plays out. So uh, so you uh, you have to be delighted about the uh, Israel and United Arab Emirates uh, peace deal that was... Uh, Absolutely. It was, a, it was a really good thing. Um, it changes the dynam- dynamics a little bit. I mean, let's understand there have been under um, underground or semi-underground relations between Israel and, and the Gulf states now for at least 15 years. This is the first time one of them is willing to make it public, and it's a good fit between the two countries, so that's all very, very, very good. Um, Maybe the Palestinians will wake up that their, let's say this way, their strategy has been wrong. 
And the strategy has been from from the very start of the conflict all the way back to say no to every solution, mm-hmm. hoping the next solution will be better. But I think and, the, the, uh, the brilliance of this uh, approach has been not to go try to go peace with the Palestinians, but to work with other countries. My hope is this... Right, part- but I understand something. I was on a television show uh, the other night with someone who would be considered a, a fairly right-wing in, in Israeli politics uh, commentator, and his big concern was that we'll, we will, um, as a result of this... Um, Forget the fact that at some point we need to reach we need to reach a peace with the Palestinians as well because they're not disappearing. Right. So you know that's that's the problem. We can we, we it's great to make these agreements and it's wonderful and I think I hope that we'll make some more and at least some public relations with uh, the other Gulf states and maybe even Saudi Arabia and that's really good for Israel strategically and certainly in terms of Iran which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Um, but ultimately, it's the Palestinians that we have to find a way of reaching some sort of agreement with. It's mostly been their fault, but the fact of the matter is it doesn't help, you know, the, the situation not to have an agreement because uh, at some point uh, there has to be, you know, there has to be some sort of a, a long-term agreement that allows them to live in their own their own state and we live in our state separately and that's the direction it has to go. Well, and politically, I think their interests are diminished if you begin to see Oman and Saudi Arabia and other countries joining in in this type of agreement. I think uh, this could really have a very positive impact and create real pressure on the Palestinians. That would be the hope. That would be certainly the hope. Uh, we'll have to see. You know, sometimes, as you know, people get dig in their ideology even deeper sometimes. Yeah, that's true. And you know, the old, old saying is, you know, Stop digging in the hole, you know. Stop digging, but somebody will just keep on digging that hole, and so we'll have to see. You know, rethinking your thoughts is a very difficult matter for people. So we'll have to see what happens. Absolutely. So now the the uh, UN has soundly defeated the uh, U.S. demand to extend arms embargo on Iran. What are your thoughts there? Well, this unfortunately is a it was to be expected. Yeah. I mean, the United States has lost just about at any sort of friend it has in the world in the last uh, three years in terms of American allies. And so none of the traditional allies are willing to go with the United States. Also, since we moved away from the JCPOA, uh, it's sort of hard for the United States to say it has a seat at the table. Yeah. And unfortunately, I have no idea what President Trump is talking about, the snapback part of the agreement. There is a snapback part of the agreement that basically says any of the signatures to the agreement can at some point, if they claim the... Uh, the other side is violating it, can snap back the sanctions. But the United States walked away from the agreement, so it's no longer part of the agreement. Yeah. So we lost that ability as well. So Yeah, we're still, we're still enforcing our own uh, sanctions. We can do whatever we want to do ourselves, but it doesn't help us. We won't stop the Russians, the Chinese, or anyone else from selling them arms. So back to the you peace know, agreement. Well, yeah, I think the, the other thing that this serves is it is a statement against the Iranians and the, their uh, terrorism. Right, that quite clearly was. That's the, that's the driving part of this agreement, is the fact that the uh, Gulf states are looking to publicly ally, they've been privately allying, allying with Israel against Iran. Uh, Iran is the most problematic per, uh, player in the region. Yeah, And the Iranians are really in pretty big big trouble with at the moment because you've had two things happen. You had this agreement and you have the explosion in in Beirut, which has clearly weakened Hezbollah, which is their arm in, in Lebanon. Right. And you t- take those two things, you add U.S. economic sanctions against Iran, and then you throw in the fact that we're really not sure of the figures, but it would seem like Iran is suffering probably one of the highest rates of COVID-19 of anywhere in the world. Plus, so plus civil all un- those things together. Plus civil unrest and, and, and rampant inflation as well, as I understand it. Right, well, that's the rampant inflation as a result of the economic embargoes and all that that brings about. Yep. So, so the, the government clearly is under stress. Once again, we get down to the old question, and that's the question is, you know, who owns the arms in the country? Is anyone willing to stand up to the Ayatollahs and say, no, it's time for you to go? Um we can dream that's the case. So far, we haven't seen it, and it's going to take a lot of courage. And I'm not sure, like I like I said previous broadcasts, after we saw what happened in Syria, it's pretty hard for people to get together and say, "I'm going to take on this dictator," because 
Yeah. It didn't work out very well in Syria, let's put it that way. Absolutely. But I guess my conclusion would be, and I just appreciate your confirmation or, or questioning, is that uh, things, this, this has been a good week for world peace or a good uh, week for moving things towards more uh, sol- solid world peace, or at least in the Middle East. Well, clearly, there's no question this is a positive, positive direction, a positive thing. You know, how long-lasting, all those sort of things, I don't know. I mean, I... I wrote a column this week in Newsweek, and some people just said it was the most positive thing I've written in a long time. And yeah, the answer was this is the first piece of positive news in the longest time. Yeah. Whether it's COVID nineteen or other issues, this is really you know something positive, and it's always good to have something positive once in a while because it's been kind of grim. It has been indeed, Mark. I have so many other things I'd like to speak to you about. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Mark, let's go to Belarus. There are <laughs> there's, People are really upset in Belarus about the election, what's going on. Right. So the election was a farce. Um, in, a few sta- in a few polling stations that there were actually independent uh, observers who actually saw the count, the current uh, president only won about 20% of the vote. His opponent won 80% of the vote. Um, but, of course, he declared victory in the election, even though he lost in a big way. Um, yesterday, there were hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of people out in the streets protesting, mm-hmm. um, even though the day before and the two days before that, the police brutally put down the, the protests. It's not clear where this is going, because we're now seeing cases of the police switching sides and going with the demonstrators. Um, so you could see that happening. You could see, it, you know... It sort of reminds me a little bit of Ceausescu in Romania right before 
right before he was killed by uh, by his people. Yeah. Um, so we'll have to see what what develops in the next uh, couple of days. Um, if anyone's going to stick with him, Putin is going to stick with him clearly. Yeah. Um, and so Putin doesn't want to see what happens in. Belarus happened in Russia, obviously. Right. Um, but, yeah, but it's also an object lesson how quickly freedom and uh, free elections and uh, can slip away from us. I mean, we have to be really mindful of, uh, of that and just not <laughs> not allow that to happen here. No, absolutely. Uh, look, we have a lot of checks and balances in the United States, but we also, you know, there's some issues that are very, very problematic and troubling. So we, we have to make sure... That <laughs> Look, we have to make sure. Uh, let me step back for one. The most important point, and this is the most important point that people do not realize about American democracy. The most important thing about American democracy is the fact that there are three co-equal branches of government, right? And each one acts as a check and a balance against the other, or tries to. There have been times when it's been more successful, and it's been less successful. There are times when presidents have gotten whatever they want. When Congress has been too strong, you know the, the the pendulum has swung various ways over over the centuries of American history. But by and large, it's maintained uh, the American democracy and the the way it has because of those checks and balances. Uh, absolutely, and and you can understand why the founders dis- demanded that they have these checks and balances in place. When you see the rascals and gangsters that sent up to Washington that ended up leading, it's just unbelievable. No, absolutely, absolutely. Look, we have a there, there's a problem. There's always a problem in the political class. Yeah, um, and there's always been a problem that I, I've seen firsthand. People who give give their lives theoretically for politics or organization, but then they look around and say, "But I work so hard. I'm entitled to more." And that's where the corruption. Absolutely, Mark. For whatever reason, just the very fact of getting elected seems to change the posture and mindset of people that go to Washington. It's it's unfortunate, but again, we should be so thankful that we have this, as you're pointing out, the checks and balances between three equal branches of government. So important indeed. Before I let you go, I'd like to uh, get your comments and thoughts about uh, coronavirus worldwide, and especially what's happening in, in New Zealand. New Zealand of all places, right? We thought New Zealand looked like they had they had the virus beat, and there were no cases for a hundred and something days. There were no flights in and out of New Zealand for passengers, so no one was traveling. And then suddenly there was an outbreak in Auckland, the main city in, in New Zealand, and they've actually put the whole city basically on curfew to try to figure out what's going on. It would seem, and I put this in in the quotation marks, so it's not clear for sure, that it came in on some frozen. Uh, uh, food that may have come from China. It's not clear. Mm. But the fact of the matter is the virus seems to be able to live in a frozen environment. Mm. So, did I read correctly or do I recall correctly there were like five cases and they shut down the economy? Basically, yes, but there are more than five now. But yes, they shut down, they saw five cases. Don't forget, they were Mm virus-free. 105 days with no virus, which means you can live your life completely un, you know, without any concerns. And you're an island nation, so you're really cut off from the world. You could do all those things. Yeah. Um, and and then then it suddenly reappeared, and of course they're they delayed their elections by thirty days as a result. So uh, so parliamentary uh, elections. But the the point that I, is so interesting to me is you're suggesting it may have come in through frozen foods from China, which is just a, a uh, to uh, mix metaphors here, a chilling thought. That's unbelievable. Right. No, absolutely. And again, this this virus is. <laughs> Let's put it this way: It seems to, to have a life of its own, so to speak, in terms of managing. You know, people would always say we could have been New Zealand, and that was crazy what it would be like. And something they have it too. Yeah. So, listen, um, whether it's palliative cure or or a vaccine, the fact of the matter is, for the world to go back to the way it was, we need one or the other. Right. And Absolutely. Hopefully, it's been it's been six months. Hopefully, by the time we hit the year the year point. We'll either have a vaccine or we'll have a a cure that will just turn it into a common cold. Either way, will work for me. Right, uh, Mark. The last thing on my mind is that the Pompeo signed this pact to redeploy troops to Poland from Germany uh, for boosting NATO deterrence. So, what are your thoughts? Well, there's mixed thoughts about that. On one hand, it's 
it's nothing wrong with moving troops from Germany to Poland. It'll cost a lot of money, but that's okay. Um, I'm a little bit concerned the Polish government is, is very problematic. I have friends in Poland, and all of them are very, very afraid of the government, hmm. who's um, used all sorts of populist um, slogans, very anti-LGBT, anti-this, anti-that, very, um, very problematic to a lot of people in, in, in Poland. Hmm. Um, so, you know, getting a little bit too close to that government and is, is a little troubling, but not overwhelming. There's nothing with moving some troops in, into Poland. Um, so we'll have to see. Hmm. Um, you know, the troops have been in Germany a long time. They're uncomfortable in Germany. We'll see how this, how this develops. But I guess I don't see anything wrong with having American troops in Poland, per se. Yeah. So we'll have to see. I mean, uh, there'll have to be a lot of rebuilding in terms of relations with NATO over the next couple of years um, can just strengthen NATO even more than it is today. So yeah. We have it developed. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Mark, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you. So I wanted to, uh, we, uh, during that first segment, I had a couple other things I wanted to cover, and I wanted to share with you the uh, former FBI lawyer plans to plead guilty to making a false statement in the first criminal case against, arising from U.S. Attorney John Durham's investigations into the ter- probe of ties between Russia and the 2016 campaign, that according to his lawyer. Kevin Kleinsmith is accused of altering a government email about a former Trump campaign advisor who was the target of a secret FBI surveillance. And, of course, this all led to the unraveling and to the, uh, the situation of uh, the, the FISA warrant. So he's going to plead guilty. Now, my hope is that uh, this is just the beginning. He, hopefully this is a plea deal, and he's uh, coming out and singing uh, f- uh, about other people who have been involved in this process. Uh, it's fortunate, I believe, that Durham is, is uh, now starting to reveal what he's done. I think, first of all, uh, what's interesting to me is how secretive this Durham investigation has been, so I really applaud him for that. And my hope is that uh, he'll will, this will lead up the food chain to other people uh, who've been involved in this, in this, uh, in this, what Trump says, uh, he says, they, the fact is they spied on my campaign. They got caught, Trump told reporters on Friday. He, his political campaign issued its own statement saying abuses of power in the Russia investigation represent the greatest political crime in American history and everyone involved should be held accountable. Now, Durham, uh, there's a policy within the, uh, Department of Justice suggests that they cannot uh, uh, continue investigations when there are political ramifications, for example, the election coming up on February 3rd, that being within, I think it's 90 days of the beginning of the election, maybe it's 60 days. In any event, uh, this is not going to splash on Biden, apparently, or to uh, other people who are involved in the election. So uh, our point is that he probably will be coming up and and coming with more names. Uh, I would hope Clapper, uh, Comey, uh, but perhaps not that high in the food chain. But in any event, uh, it would be very reassuring to see that uh, there are uh, not only people who who are being convicted for crimes that have been committed during this entire process. It's important not it's important because the country needs to understand that the rule of justice prevails uh, in this country. And that's just very critical uh, to the United States of America. Okay, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed. Larry is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431 431- 
7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Uh, go to the website, visit gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. Larry's an author as well. He's also the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. It's always always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. So tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We host uh, seminars on campuses and uh, in schools around the country, at least we did before COVID. (laughs) Now uh, most of them are online. Uh, And we also maintain a very robust website at fee.org. Our focus is on young people of high school and college age, and we try to educate and inspire them on ideas of liberty and private property, small government, personal responsibility, and character. Absolutely. Great organization. FEE.org is the website. If you have a young person in your life in in that age bracket, I definitely recommend get them involved in the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, you wrote a piece about the post office and the vote by mail. No thanks is the title. Maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. There's a movement right right now uh, prompted by the pandemic to allow for mass mail-in voting in the November election. And I think many of those who are advocating that would be happy to see it uh, in all elections. Now, we have had mail-in voting in the form of absentee, where you produce a reason and uh, without much difficulty you get a uh, ballot because you're going to be out of town, and then you sign it and and, uh, mail it back. But we've never had anything like uh, what they're discussing right now, the idea that instead of uh, by voter request, uh, state governments uh, would simply send out ballots to everybody Mm -hmm. on the voter rolls as um, inefficient and uh, 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 obsolete some of those voter rolls are. So you can bet that there would be a lot of ballots floating around out there uh, being mailed to uh, uh, people who are no longer around, even though they're still on the voting rolls, and, yeah. uh, in whose hands they fall into and, and who they uh, actually um, end up being voted uh, is anybody's guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the president, uh, I, I think, has articulated the difference. I wish he'd articulate it a little bit better. Voting by mail is uh, it has the insinuation in it that uh, voting uh, absentee ballots are, are a bad thing. I don't think they are. In fact, we have a terrific supervisor of elections here in Collier County, Jennifer Edwards. She does a great job. And we vote, vote by mail every year when we vote. And the reason for that is uh, some, many times there's things on the ballot that, oh, I didn't, look, I didn't know about that, or some sort of thing that shows up and you want to do a little investigation before you cast, cast your ballot. But she does it very securely. It works out very well. Uh, so that kind of vote by mail works out very well. What you're pointing out is this whole notion of just sending out a ballot to everybody on the rolls, whether they're dead, deceased, or whatever, and uh, could be lost in the mail or could be uh, end up uh, uh, opened by somebody else and uh, voting in your behest. Or, or you know, it's it's just fraught with problems. Yeah, and you know, it's a very important right 
that most of the people who've lived on this planet have never had. A very small single-digit percentage of people who have ever lived uh, have been able to cast a uh, private vote in a free and fair election. And uh, we've had an awful lot of Americans uh, die on the battlefield mm -hmm. to ensure that we have uh, uh, this basic right. So I think it's important enough to uh, go to the polls. And if you have a good reason that you can't get there, as we said, uh, you've got the absentee opportunity. And plus there's early voting. I mean, uh, even Dr. Fauci the other day said there's no reason why we couldn't have in-person voting in uh, the November election. So I don't want to cheapen this uh, sacred right, right. Uh, and make it worth nothing more than a quick trip to the mailbox. Absolutely. I mean, we just uh, were finding out in Belarus how, how tenuous the yeah. whole notion is right now because of uh, the, the riots that are going on. Apparently the president there got 20% of the vote and claimed victory and uh, won't leave office. But you pointed out something very interesting in your column. There have been about 110 billion human beings that have lived on this planet. I did not know that. That's such a fascinating statistic. So that means that about, what, seven or eight, six percent of all the people that have ever lived on the planet are still alive yeah that's right and uh i did a little research to come up with that and the best estimate of demographers is uh between 108 billion and maybe 112 billion uh have lived uh, on the earth since adam and eve that is so fascinating so uh, i mean to, to me, I think the, the important object lesson coming out of this discussion is that people really need to, first of all, embrace the right that we have because not everybody on the planet has ever had it, and even those that have it, sometimes the, the right is being abused by politicians. So we need to protect it, we need to own it, and we need to uh, carefully make sure that take the time and the effort to vote legally as opposed to having the convenience of having ballots sent out all over the country, many of them fraudulent. Yeah, just think about what you would say to someone from a country where they don't have the right to vote, or what you would say to your 95-year-old grandfather who had to dodge hellfire on Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, could, could you go, go to any of those people and say, you know, it's a little bit of a, a, a trek for me to have to go to the polls. I'd rather just sit in my recliner at home and pop it in the mailbox. I mean, <laughs> I mean, a little inconvenience to, uh, 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 on behalf of a sacred right, that's not too much to ask. It certainly is not. I'm so happy we're having this conversation right now because Speaker Nancy Pelosi told Democrats on Sunday evening that the House will be called back from the August recess, likely on Saturday, to act to save the Postal Service. Now, you know, all this time and all these years, we've never heard this concern, yeah. save the postal. So what's going on right now? This is all so political, trying to use the coronavirus, uh, the fear, fanning the fears of the flames of fear, and then uh, having people just decide, well, we ought to vote my mail out. Let's get the, it's kind of this cloud, uh, cloud piven strategy of governance. Accuse your opponent of the exact sins that you're about guilty of, uh, of doing. She's saying, hey, Trump's going to game the system and win the election, which is exactly what they're trying to do. Yeah, they, they use that tactic all the time. And, and I think it says something not very complimentary about uh, the leadership of a party that is in favor of anything that could increase uh, the possibility of fraud in an election. Uh, I think they know deep down that uh, the more potential for fraud, the more likely their party is going to benefit. Mm -hmm. And that's a shame. This should be a nonpartisan issue. Uh, uh, and we should all be in favor of secure, free, fair, and reliable elections and not simply support tactics that might end up stuffing the ballot box on behalf of one party or another. That undermines our whole system. Well, so uh, again, cherish the, the right that we have to, to vote. But second of all, look out for these tenuous or for these attacks now that are about to happen. You know, in fact, there was a SNBC uh, guest uh, host, Tiffany Cross, as former Attorney General Loretta Lynch, about what would happen if President Trump lose the election and refused to leave. The guest host line of questioning, which occurred Sunday morning on MSNBC's AM Joy, included the suggestion that Trump could use Bill Barr to potentially create this dictatorship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't tell you about, uh, they don't remind you that Hillary Clinton still hasn't accepted the results of the last election. <laughs> but I mean, they're, they're setting the table for this. You can see the October surprise coming up and accusing Trump of refusing to fix the post office. So, yeah, 
<laughs> Here we go. Again, uh, Larry Reed, the uh, uh, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Visit FEE.org, FEE.org. Larry, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Jim is a uh, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's also the author of a couple of terrific murder mysteries. His first is uh, Follow the Leader. The second is Shake the Money Tree. Both of these uh, murder mysteries occur in Washington, D.C., and he's just really done a great job with them. So coming up, again, Jim McTagg, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And I proudly serve on the board. I hope you'll check out the website, thefga.org. We have with us Jim McTagg, as I mentioned before the break. He's former Burns Washington Bureau Chief. He's also the author of several books. His two latest are Shake the Money Tree and its sequel, uh, I'm sorry, the first is Follow the Leader. The second is Shake the Money Tree. Both murder mysteries located in Washington, D.C. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's fun. Bob, uh, you know, I'm under COVID house arrest, and so the television <clears throat> has reasserted itself uh, <laughs> as an important feature of my life. And tonight I'll note that a political variety show uh, is going to be aired. It's called the Democratic National Convention. Right. And it's, it's kind of a cross between a Zoom meeting and a uh, Super Bowl halftime show. And I'm sure they'll generate uh, a large viewership because, uh, frankly, the American public is bored out of its tree, you know, because we're under this extended house arrest. Well, so, uh, now, the, the conventions are usually a, a springboard to greater popularity and more enthusiasm for the party. I, you know, I just wonder, I guess the uh, command control of this thing is going to be in Milwaukee, but the uh, 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 candidate Joe Biden is going to be in his basement still, I guess going to be broadcasting from there. But the lineup, it, I looked at the lineup, it looks like it's mainly uh, the past leaders of the Democrat Party, Hillary and Bill and the, and the others, and uh, the more moderate side of the party, as opposed to what's really happening with, with the politics in the Democrat Party right now. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's funny, you've mentioned America's favorite odd couple, Bill and Hillary Clinton, yeah. who speak on separate nights. I think Bill Clinton 
is the headliner on Tuesday night, and and Hillary is a um, middle. She she follows Elizabeth Warren, I believe, on Wednesday night mm-hmm. uh, uh, with Nancy Pelosi in between these two bruised egos. So uh, that ought to be fun. <laughs> Tonight we we have Bernie Sanders speaking from ten to eleven. Oh my goodness! So if you if you can if you can stay awake through that, then you have uh, Michelle Obama from ten to eleven. I'm surprised that they didn't put Michelle Obama on earlier mm-hmm. because she's she has an uh, Oprah Winfrey like uh, popularity. Uh, so you know, you you would think that she would be able to capture viewers early on, but they have uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar you know, at uh, nine o'clock. Um, you know, half that's for generating excitement. Well, you know what? I, I, you're pointing out these hours. Of course, it's long past my bedtime, so I'm, I'll have to read about it tomorrow morning. <laughs> but, uh, that, that, that it is a very and how about the former governor of uh, Ohio speaking of the Republican. Uh, who Tucker Carlson refers to as uh, he, he looks like the drunk at the end of the bar. <laughs> <laughs> and then well, one thing I don't understand is the, the night, uh, Thursday night, when Joe Biden accepts the nomination, mm-hmm. he's preceded for an hour, hour by Andrew Yang, you know, the computer nerd candidate whose, whose platform was a guaranteed income for all. I, I don't understand the, the the placement of Yang before uh, Biden. It's uh, you know it's it's uh, youth uh, before uh, old age. It, it just the contrast can't serve Biden well. No. But, uh, I, but I you know the Democrats have Hollywood on their side, so it should be quite a uh, production. It should generate some momentary excitement among the base, which would impact the polls. Uh, and the polls are all over the place. I can't believe it. Like uh, the uh, ABC had a poll today that that claims that Biden has a ten point lead, but CNN had a poll yesterday of in battleground states, including Florida, which says that uh, it's almost at dead heat. Mm-hmm. So it so it tells me you know the polls are inaccurate. But when you drill down, I was fascinated by the CNN poll because uh, the leading issue among voters by far, by, by at least 20 points, if you, if you look at the CNN poll, is the economy. Uh, in second place is, is coronavirus, and tied with the coronavirus is violence in the street, crime and safety. So um, this tells me two, two important things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trump is running against Trump. I mean, we've heard this before. Mm-hmm. He's not doing a great job, but he's, uh, it's not a disaster at this point for him because the, the margin of error in these polls is anywhere from 3% to 5%. Um, number two, the violence in the street, the street thugs who are opposed to Trump are actually helping him. That's right. Because uh, they just hammer home the crime and safety message. Um, now, what was not asked in the polls is the post office question, mm-hmm. and you'll probably differ with this on me, but I think that's a huge gaffe by, by Trump, because the uh, post office, I mean, he sees the post office, he sees Jeff Bezos and Amazon. I think it's his personal animus against G- Jeff Bezos, as well as his fear of losing the election because of uh, mail-in ballots. Well, I, you know, I, I would like to, uh, two points I'd like to make. First of all, before it slips my mind, uh, you mentioned that uh, the Biden is going to be speaking after uh, Yang, Andrew Yang. How much time does Biden have? Do you know? Yeah, he has an hour from, from oh 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, that should be very interesting. So uh, the second point is I, I think I agree with you. I don't think Trump has really articulated as well as he could what he'd like to see. He doesn't want mail-in ballots, but what he does want is something like we have here in Florida, which is... Uh, some call it absentee ballot, but I vote this way all the time. I have to sign uh, and get my ballot. I have to sign up for it, prove who uh, I am, all that type of thing. So he, what he doesn't want is ballots being sent out willy-nilly without any kind of effort to uh, to register. And uh, what uh, Trump uh, supports is is this uh, whole notion of uh, an absentee ballot. 
Unfortunately, I think uh, the, the left is trying to use all this against him, and I think they're doing a pretty good job. Well, I think he's doing a good job of shooting himself in the foot because the Postal Service is more than uh, about the ballots. It's a major uh, uh, conveyor of business uh, uh, packages. I mean, small business throughout the United States, especially fledgling online businesses, rely on the United States uh, Post Office because the Post Office, unlike the larger carriers, can deliver a package anywhere in the country, or it once could. But what? Trump and his people are crippling, crippling the ability of the post office to get to the end of the dirt road. Um, well, he's put so a new guy in there. He's American got he's, he's put Postmaster General uh, Louis LaJoy De, De in, 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 the, in the position, and uh, apparently he has very high hopes for this guy streamlining the operation and, and getting it, uh, making the post office great again, I guess is the, the, the statement that he's making here. So what, what he's doing is he's using it as a bargaining tip a trip uh, chip with the Democrats with regard to their proposed three trillion dollar plan, which he would counter with the one trillion dollar plan to help the American people, and it's and the U.S. Post Post Office being part of that. Whether that proves to be a wise decision on his part, well, we, remains to be seen. But I think it is a pretty good idea. Well, abstractly, but when you get to the concrete and Grandma is waiting for her pills in the mail, and and the unemployed guy across the street is waiting for his check. Mm -hmm. and, and the small business guy who uh, promised to get you the part you need to, to repair your house to get it to you yesterday has, you know, it shows up two weeks uh, later. Yeah, well, if that, um, if that happens, but it's not happening right now, and uh, that's that's the concern. I, I grant you that, but, it, but quite frankly, we got this guy coming in. I have, I have high hopes that he's going to do a great job and improve the service. Yeah, well, I disagree because I, I actually am one of the people who waited for a part that should have arrived in th three days, and it took two weeks. Uh, I think he's doing hmm. a horrible job. Ah, uh, the, the post office is a, is a service. It's not profit-making. The U.S. Army is not profit-making. You know, why not streamline the U.S. Army? I mean, come on. You know, there's no... There's more malice than forethought behind these moves in the post office, in my humble opinion. Yeah, well, uh, so I, I'm probably less informed than you are about this issue, but from what I can see, I don't think anybody's uh, for reducing the quality of the post office. That would be political suicide, quite frankly, at this time of year. So uh, I expect that... Uh, I'm so, now, are, are you sure that it was the post office that slowed down the delivery? It wasn't the, uh, the processing from the place where you bought it? No, it was the post office because I was in contact with the place, and they sent they sent me an email as soon as they put it in the mail slot, so uh, which was uh, a day after my order, and then it took another two weeks to reach me, That's and this is a, 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 a first class mail. It it was a plastic brackets. Hmm. I mean, it was not a heavy package. So, and it came from Denver. So that's unacceptable then. Uh, so that's a bad, that's an example of what you don't want to have happen. My hope is that uh, service will improve. Oh, no, there's always some outliers, Jim, so I'm hopeful your experience is not, we don't make it a universal principle about what's happening right now. Well, it's not, it hasn't showed up in polling yet. I'm very curious to see if the pollsters add a post office question. I think they will because the Democrats are trying to make this into a, a huge issue, and I'm sure it will be uh, a major feature of the uh, Democratic Convention. No question about it. Well, Jim, I'm really happy that you brought this whole notion. I'd for, I didn't mention it earlier in the show, and I think it's important that we know that the convention is going on, starts today, starts tonight, and uh, we'll see what happens and what, what they, uh, you know, what they're going to actually push in terms of proposals and policies. It'll be interesting to see. Jim, generally appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure, Jim. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I, I certainly did and learned a lot. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, tell your friends. It's, uh, we're seeing lots of more listeners on the podcast platforms. I'm happy to see that. And, uh, you know, if you enjoy the show, send me an email. If you'd like to get the newsletter I send out after each show, just send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you join us tomorrow. We're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Boo Mortensen will be with us, as well as Seat Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>
so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.